Welcome to episode 135 of the MX Vice Show. We have an action-packed show, as always, with uh, a very special guest. We've been trying to uh, get hold of him on uh, on a podcast for, for a whole year. So um, he's been like the, uh, the hide-and-seek world champion. Um, so uh, it's going to be a good one this time. Uh, we are going to look back at the Czech Republic. And uh, our guest had a very, very solid um, first race. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the next round at Lommel. Uh, I'm James Burfield, your host. And uh, on the line with me is the co-host who's been hosting recently as I've been away with my uh, little endeavours into uh, spending a lot of time in hospital with my daughter. Um, and that is Ed the Machine Stratman. Thanks, Ed, for uh, covering MX Vice the past month. How are you? No, mate, life's good. Can't complain. We've had some uh, yeah, great riders on and, yeah, it's just been enjoying chatting to them and watching watching all the guys uh, yeah, doing their stuff, mate, and getting JT and Lorenzo have been providing some great insight. And, yeah, it's great to have you back, mate. Hey, mate, it's great to be back. But, um, damn, you, you've been literally just running MX Vice on your own. You are the machine. Brian, mate. Yeah, Ben and Ben and Brad have been doing their great work on their pods and and their bits and but yeah we're just sort of trying to make the content as good as possible obviously I, i'm not there but yeah i'm trying trying my best to speak to a lot of different riders we had staff on yesterday who who uh sort of got overtaken by our guest right at the at the end of the race he wasn't too happy about speaking to yesterday and <laughs> yeah we've got some pretty cool stuff we should have Valandrin on tomorrow if all goes to plan and yeah it's exciting times in mx vice mate awesome so uh, our special guest, uh, hide and seek world champion, FNH, Factory Kawasaki rider, Kevin Horkmo. Kevin, great to have you here. Yes, thank you so much for uh, finally finding me <laughs> this time online. But uh, <laughs> I've been pretty good at avoiding you uh, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were talking uh, a little bit um, sort of offline before the show started. And uh, I think France, I, I think my time has just been so bad because every time I've come up to you, you're literally bags packed and ready to go. And I'm usually hunting around the pits for uh, for everybody to talk to. And I have a very short period, like a sh very short window of time to try and get people. Because, you know, it's like everybody just wants to get out of uh, MXGP as quick as possible yeah. on a Sunday night. So um, it's not, that's not quite aligned, has it for us? No, to be honest, uh, I had the backpack ready and I was off to the car, but I think I sat in the line like one and a half hour up there to just get out of the, the parking. So we could have done the the podcast or the show in the car there, but uh, yeah, I was eager to get out. That's for sure. Yeah, Dan, I remember, yeah, France was so bad to get out of, hey? I was, uh, I think we were there till probably like, you know, three hours later and it's still queuing to get out so it was a it was a funny old place to uh to get out of what did you think of that track yeah on saturday it was oh, it was so rough really difficult i i struggle a lot but on sunday it was a little bit better like uh it was more, more for racing and then they flattened the track so much for the second moto i remember it was just wide open so was like three different tracks during the weekend on Saturday, full enduro style. Race one was more or less perfect, and then race two was a speedway track. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember it. Is it is a tricky old school track with lots of rocks as well, and I think pretty much every rider got caught out that weekend. Um, it'd be interesting to see if it's in the calendar for twenty four. Um, this section of the show is brought to us by Parts Europe. Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all motorbike segments in Europe. We support the sport is fortified through the Thor and Moose House brands and their support of world elite riders like Calvin Vlanderen, Jorge Prado, Lagenfelder, Guadagini, Jonas Bogers, and nine times world champion and Thor ambassador, Tony Caroli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross and enduro bike, Neck and Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renthal, Recluse, and many more are in stock and ready to be shipped. Check out our website at partseurope.eu or contact your local Parts Europe dealer. With a dealer network of over 10,000 shops, we're sure there is one for you. Also, big thank you to Kawasaki UK. AS3 Performance Parts, they're our second part uh, sponsor. Um, great performance parts for your bike. Uh, 
even strokes uh, a sister company which uh, if you're buying your motocross products make sure you check out evenstrokes.com obviously for mx and scott sports so some fantastic brand support in mx vice this year and we've had some fantastic guests and uh, cherry on the on the cake now with kevin horgmo so um let's talk about the weekend kevin because it's uh you know, Argentina, the second race in Argentina was was a fantastic result for you. And then it's been a, a world of hurt. That's what I'm going to call it, a world of hurt for you, because it's it's not been quite where you want it when you came into this year. But damn, when you got that first race, second place, that must have felt good. Yeah, for sure. Like I've been searching and had so many problems since since Argentina, actually. And uh, and finally something clicked this week and I was like finally going into the weekend, not in survival mode almost. I was like just enjoying the track from the get-go. I went out on free practice like, oh, finally I can ride how I should be. And, and yeah, even though I was like, yeah, eight on the time practice or nine or whatever. And I think I was eight in the qualifying. Like I felt so good, like not what I have in such a long time so I was just enjoying and then uh, yeah in the first motor there I had a good start and and then I just settled for uh, a good pace there behind Diago and even sometimes caught up to him a little bit challenged him sometimes and then towards the end there were some lappers that were uh, slowing him down a lot so I had like one chance but then I got caught up with a lapper and yeah I finished second so I was really happy with that, obviously. And then, yeah, second moto. Back to a little bit of a struggle with a bad start and then came coming from so far. But, yeah, I was just really relieved, let's say, that finally I can ride like myself a little bit more. And I felt like this weekend was a really big step and a, a small click, let's say, yeah. So coming into this week, was there anything you you've done differently? What was it a different mindset coming in? Tell us also what was the difference coming into this weekend to, to previous weekends? No, I think like I've been searching a lot and also had some injuries, like different kind of injuries. And then the last one in Indonesia there when I dislocated my shoulder in the first one. And then uh, on the second race, I had a big crash on the qualifying race on the start. And after Indonesia, I just went home for one week, didn't touch the bike and tried to get my heads on, head on other teams, been cycling a lot. And then uh, Wednesday before Lockheed was the only day we went riding. And then uh, I'm lucky enough to have uh, Jörg from Technical Touch, Kayaba there and... He helped me, like, yeah, we tested some stuff and both on rear, on the rear and the front. And I think we found something or I, I felt there and then that we found something. And already from Wednesday, I was like, yeah, this is this is a different bike almost like going into the weekend. Not that my bike was bad or anything before, but it was just a small step that that changed it for me that I was such uh, much more confident like in the corners and stuff. So yeah, just I think confidence with the bike to be honest, yeah. I was going to ask you, mate, how are you feeling physically? Obviously, you've had some pretty big recent crashes, especially in Germany and Indonesia and obviously Mark popped the shoulder back in and uh, yeah, he had some massive respect for you. He put a pretty cool post out there, mate. And so how are you feeling? And it was pretty cool that Mark sort of uh, said, said those kind words about you because he's not easily impressed, is he? No, that's that's really nice. Like, uh, it's an emotional for everybody. Like, you know, they know what I've been going through. And even before that, like, I had so many small injuries, like from practice crashes, like small crashes and just injured my knee, been food poisoned after Spain for one month. And uh, yeah, I've been going through hell, let's say, for the past couple of months. So uh, yeah, and then like the cherry on the top is popping my shoulder out pre practice, but luckily, yeah, we got it back in. And and uh, actually, that shoulder is the best shoulder. The other one from 
the left one I heard on the crash in Germany is still bothering me more. So uh, it's just been a difficult season. And I think that's why everybody gets so emotional also. Like, yeah, we just want the best for each other and we keep pushing. How is the shoulder now, Kevin? Have you had any problems with the, the good shoulder what got dislocated? Uh, no, only like in certain positions, but not not pain, nothing. It's just been a little bit sore after the crash. And then afterwards, I've been training strength almost every two day, like rehabilitation and trying to strengthen it. But that's just for the confidence because actually that shoulder feels good. Uh it's been not problematic at all. I don't know how that works since I just dislocated it and then afterwards it's fine. But I think it's because we got it back such uh, so quick. Yeah. So the shoulder, the right one is actually quite fine. Yeah. One of the um, things which I was talking about was quite interesting when listening to you saying that you, you had that suspension change um, and just that little bit of uh you know he felt more at one with a bike and you know felt a lot more comfortable because locket is probably one of the most uncomfortable tracks to ride on hey because it is like someone's got like cemented um a track and then just thrown a load of gravel on top was it was it like that going into it this weekend and and maybe do you think that because you had a little bit more confidence um say in the way that the bike was um uh, you know, felt a lot more comfortable on a bike and, and you were a little bit more kind of uh, confident about where the bike was going. Do you think that sort of played into your um, in, into your mindset a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, always before, I've been excelling at, at Lockheed, like, uh, and those kinds of tracks, like a little bit gravel, a little bit hard, up and down, sleek, uh, difficult conditions I, I've been good at. And then... Uh, the second round in Indonesia was horrible for me. Like I didn't understand nothing. And actually the ground there, yeah, of course, the layout was completely different, but the ground was kind of gravel-like. So I was like, oh, how is Lockheed going to be if I almost cannot ride here? Like, yeah, I'm so slow. I didn't know what to do and I was completely lost. And for sure, it helped also mentally, like going home and resetting a bit and then getting that small click there and in uh, in testing and then going into the weekend on quite similar ground. And then, uh, yeah, that helped me for sure a lot, like confidence wise. And that's all you need, just to be honest, confidence. I was going to say, it must have been a massive boost, not only getting the start and running up front, but you pretty much stayed up front the whole race on Yago's rear wheel. And he's, you know, arguably the informed guy in MX2 at the moment. Obviously, Adamo's going well. Lucas Coonan was electric before that Indonesian, you know, the sickness he got between the races there. So how good was it, mate? You were sort of driving through the jumps, looked really fast, sort of flowing the outsides, tucking into the insides really nicely when you had to. And were there any sections you were particularly fast on you felt, mate? And yeah, it just looked like you gelled with the track superbly. Yeah, it was one of the races where I had like the least amount of uh, that I felt exhausted or at any point, like I was battling the track. It felt really easy. I just stayed behind him, followed my lines. Like he took some different lines, somewhere he pulled uh, away, especially like after the uh, pit lane. He had some pretty nice lines that I didn't really pick up on in the beginning. And then I started doing it and I came a little bit closer because on another section of the track, I was faster. And then, yeah, it was just going back and forth. And uh, and yeah, I, I just felt good and I didn't even get exhausted at all, which, yeah, all season, like I've been battling like hell every moto. And uh, having like mid-pack starts and going through riders and everything, it takes an effort. And then when you get a good start, it felt felt easy to stay up there. And uh, that's just what you need. Uh, it makes life a lot easier. 
Yeah, mate, the team must have been ecstatic afterwards when you get back because, you know, all the adversity you've faced this year, you know, a lot of the fans and the people don't know about all this stuff you've gone through and it just has a massive impact on your racing. So all that sort of hard work, perseverance, patience, it was great to see it all, you know, paying off for you, mate. So how were they when you got back to the, the rig after the, obviously the first one and the second one, yeah. you had a massive charge through the pack on a track that's not easy to pass on? Yeah, I think everybody was really happy and, uh, yeah, was over the moon after that first moto and then uh, we were a bit down in the ground after the second one with that start and yeah okay my riding was good but we were really targeting the podium and getting a comeback for the team and yeah it's it's uh, a shame we let everybody down that way but I think like it was a big step for everybody and big relief that we can still be up there and still fight and yeah even though everything we've been been through this year we we all have been continuing working like never have any of one uh, any of us back down or anything so yeah we just need to keep at it yeah and before i let james and, uh, have a couple i just wanted to ask you it's good to see braceris your teammate back he's obviously had his own issues this year hasn't gone the way he would have liked it how, how do you get on with him and do you talk about race lines bounce some ideas off each other and he seems like a pretty happy young fella too yeah, we we live together, so of course we rely on each other quite a lot, like daily life, like with food and training and everything. And he's a good kid. Uh, I really enjoy staying with him. He's easy, easy guy to live with, and and also on track, he's had really big progression this year. Uh, and then yeah, many times uh, things happen on the races, and uh, also with him, like crashes first. Uh, first lap or something and i know how it is uh, it's not easy the first year in mx2 and you face a lot of uh, different things that you maybe never did before and uh, and it, it's tough on you so it's good to see him back and i think after his small injury period like he's a uh, little bit different mentally he's going at the races a little bit different and i also feel like both of us actually is more confident going into the weekend than we were in the beginning of the season. So it's good for both of us, for sure. And uh, I was uh, I was watching the race, and uh, when you came around the corner, and obviously it was you were you obviously follow Yago, and um, second started to creep up on the inside, and you just got such a great. I think was it the second or third wave? You just got such a great jump. And landed yeah. it perfectly. Uh, did you did you kind of think at that point I really need to like make this to to stick to second and get away because maybe it would have changed a little bit if if you'd got into third. So so was that playing on your mind? Did you like sort of was that a, a split decision of going? I need to make this happen now. No, it was more like I saw the KTM there. I didn't know who it was. And I was like halfway on the throttle and all of a sudden I got grip. So I just yeah <laughs> bounced and got the double down. And I was like, yeah, I got him. And then I went up the inside and I just followed the Jaguar on the corner. And then, uh, yeah, I heard them on my back wheel, but I felt like they were never close enough to do anything. So then I just kept following my lines. I didn't have to be protective or anything. And then I felt uh, that the gap started to build up and then I relaxed even more and felt even better and i knew that he was not on my wheel and then uh, yeah later i saw also that he maybe held them up a little bit but not too much actually they were battling them between each other i think kyle wolf and langenfeld which held them up more but uh yeah it it was important to get into second for sure the race would have been different if i had to battle sasha the the first lap the laps there and Probably Yago would been gone by then, like three, four seconds, and would be harder to get uh, into the flow. Have you found that this year, uh, Kevin, that the starts are more important than they've ever been? Because the tracks seem to lend themselves to like everybody's jumping the same distance. Everybody's you know, there seems to be like one fast line. It's very hard to to find tracks where there's there's two or three fast lines. So it is. Do you feel like the, the starts are even more important in MX2 now than they've ever been? 
I think like the tracks are more or less same. Like they they've been like uh, obviously the tracks is a point and also a thing that yeah it could been like more open if we didn't have all the inside bumps and everything. So you could cross more all over the track. Like sometimes the inside bumps to slow down the inside works, but most of the time it makes it that uh, the riders cannot move around so much on the track. Like uh, we get, just get stick, stuck in one line. And uh, yeah, for sure the starts are important because of the track, but I think mostly like the level in MX2 is actually is higher than than people think. Like it's really a good depth this year. And uh, to get into the top 10 even is a massive achievement. It's uh, a lot of good bikes and a lot of good riders. And everybody's more or less healthy, I think. Uh, nothing major. And uh, the speed is really high in everybody. You see like on the time practice, sometimes I'm uh, 1.6 off and I'm in 11th. I'm like, what the hell could I have done different? I don't know what to do different to to be faster and still somehow they find more, more speed. So, yeah, it's uh, really different, uh, difficult. And, yeah, the level is, is certainly really high. It's been interesting, hey, that the last couple of years, in, in you know, you, 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 you tested this, that EMX 250, the top five or six in the EMX 250, every year they seem to come up their top 10 or, you know, especially the top three of MX250 are, are battling in the top 10. So it's, it is this constant conveyor belt of of this next generation. You were part of that next generation coming through and now you've got all these guys every year coming through and next year is not going to be, you know, any different. So that that quality of rider coming through now is so high. I think you're right. I think that the, the top 10 um, in MX2 at the moment are all capable of, of podiuming. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One thing I wanted to talk to you about as well um, is uh, you were the original vlog guy. Can you can you remember that time when you were a privateer and uh, smashing out those vlogs? Was it like six, seven years ago? Or was it even longer? No, actually, I continued doing it to last year, but then it was more half-assed. Like, before I was really on it, like... Uh... Yeah, as a kid, you will never know if you're going to make it. And then at the same time, I had so much spare time traveling around uh, in the camper and everything, going Spain, Italy, France, uh, back to Sweden, uh, to Germany and yeah, everywhere around Europe. So I had too much time on my hands doing nothing. So I always had an interest for electronics and video cameras and stuff like that. So I just got into vlogging and kind of used it as a hobby on on the way and yeah people seem to like it and i also like doing it so it's been nice but yeah uh, it's a end for everything and i think like my life now is really different if i would go back to that kind of style like traveling around maybe i would pick it up again but now just being going to the track as fast as possible and coming back here, uh, staying in hotels, <laughs> everything not such an interesting life, you know. So, obviously, it would be nice to share a little bit from the GPs, but uh, I don't have enough time on my hands to do it. I prefer to to do other things. So, we will see. Maybe in the future, we'll come back, but for now, focus on the racing. If uh, if if any of you guys are wondering um, what we're talking about with the vlogs, just go onto YouTube, type in Kevin Horgan Motocross. You'll find his channel, and, and trust me, it's really cool. Like I can remember throughout the, you know, going back to uh, what was 2017. It was you and your dad in the camper traveling to the races, and um, I'd always come around and have a chat, and we'd do an interview and in, and in, in stuff like that. And uh, it, it it was that you had a very close knit uh, sort of team, wasn't it? You and your dad, he literally drove to every GP that, that he needed to uh, in the MX 250. Do you, uh, is your dad still going to every GP? Yeah. Like uh, in the beginning there, uh, the team had the race bikes uh, and then we were just traveling with a training bike around and uh, he was wrenching on the GPs and then uh, the team would take the bike back and fix it and everything. And, uh, yeah, like uh, my dad is uh, 
more or less like coming to the races as a helmet and a boot washer and uh, yeah staying in their own hotel or uh, things like that and not able to travel with them like Prado have his dad there and uh, Gates and many of the other guys have their dads or parents there all the time but uh, we are not able to do that they just come for the races and then uh, also I see them on the weekends I go home so I'm not 24-7 with them but uh, yeah it's good spending time with them like when they come yeah yeah but I was going to ask you you must be excited for Lommel and obviously there's a couple of sort of home GPs coming up for you after that so you excited for that have you got some things planned got some lit kits got some you know events with the fans I'm sure they'll be all there out and forth supporting you mate yeah, Lobel will be really nice. I think we have some uh, nice new gear from Liad coming up there. So that will be cool. And then, yeah, Finland is really far from my home. It's Scandinavia, but I wouldn't really call it uh, home GP. But Udvala is, is home GP. It's two and a half hours from my home. So that feels like home. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, will be a lot of Norwegian fans there. I haven't planned anything special Uh like I need to focus on my stuff only and uh, I don't have anyone to take care of all that stuff. But yeah, maybe if I was uh, going gunning for podiums every weekend, we would have something coming up. But at the moment, that's not my main priority. Like I am uh, looking forward to going home and racing in front of them. But uh, but uh, that's it. Like, uh, yeah, I just need to get on with my racing and that's it. Yeah, and obviously coming up to the end of the year, MXGP, you're moving up next year. Yeah, we were just sort of talking off air. If you've been talking to teams and if you've got some things in the works, so just give us an update on the progress and uh, you're definitely keen to sort something out, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. My main goal is to get a ride in MXGP and uh, and I would love to, to get there to show my potential. But at the moment, it's nothing uh, in the works. Uh, yeah, it's difficult getting a ride these days and uh, with my results so far, I understand it also. I've been going under the radar a bit, but hopefully if I can get more races like this, I will uh, put myself out there and uh, and some interest will show. But for now, I'm just uh, yeah focusing on the racing right now at the moment and uh, I think that's what I need also, like... I cannot think too much about next year because then my head will spin too much. So it's better I just focus on this year. And then uh, if I work in the Salmon factory next year, yeah, that's that's it. Like, yeah, I just need to enjoy the moment and uh, then we will see what happens. That, um, you kind of knocked on the, on the head there. Do you think like sometimes like when you're in this, when riders are from MX, MX Tour in the last year, there's so much... Um, pressure on them to perform and you're only as good as your last race so to speak so dependently like you've put in a, like you know a, some solid years uh, uh, and some solid results in mx2 you're you're easily one of the fastest guys in mx2 um do, do you think that pressure of of next year is is kind of played on your mind a little bit this year yeah for sure already going into the the year you think about that like fuck uh, i want to to show what i'm capable of and i want one ride for next year and blah 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 but as soon as the the races go on you need to just shut off that part of your mind and uh, focus on the races right now like live in the moment and uh, and yeah it's always in the back of your head you cannot deny it but uh, i just try to enjoy as much as possible Obviously, I've been surviving a lot of the weekends right now, but I'm trying to get back into the groove of just, yeah, putting putting out solid efforts and uh, enjoying my time. And uh, yeah, I just uh, need to focus on that, I feel like. And for sure, it plays a part that uh, you want to prove yourself, but... Uh, Going to the 450, you never really know. It's like a massive career step. And with many riders in the past, you see like, yeah, that's the the difference maker. Either you excel when you go on the 450 or your career is finished. So I would really like to get an opportunity to prove myself because 
I think with my style, uh, 450 would suit me, actually. Yeah, I'm a smaller guy, but still, like, yeah, how I ride the bike would, would suit a 450, I'm sure. And I would like to prove what's what's in me, but uh, we will see what happens. Hey, we're, we're going to mark you on this show is uh, basically uh, a, a Norwegian version of um, Ricky Carmichael and Ryan Villapoto. They, you know, they were hitting whoops, you know, and they were like three foot high. So, I mean, you've got two foot on them easily and uh, and you're from Norway so, and you're hardcore. So former Viking. Um, so what's not to love? Yeah, my heart's always 100% in it. That's for sure. So, yeah. And, and obviously and, the Indonesian fans are probably uh, a big fan of the blonde hair because we were speaking to Alvin Ostland and, you know, he was saying that his girlfriend, who's got blonde hair, was a massive hit over there, mate. So even just right on the coattails of having blonde hair and those Indonesian rounds should get you a ride, surely. Yeah, that must be like the perfect uh, symbol for the team to put out there for sure. <laughs> and and obviously <laughs> last year, on top of the you know being serious for a second, obviously you showed your class. I think it's sort of overlooked and forgotten a bit, James, isn't it? That Kevin got fourth overall in the championship in MX2 last year, which is an amazing achievement so consistent just kept picking up the results and you know you rode really well mate it must have been a really good season for you and we're just looking at some numbers and i saw you had a run of 26 consecutive top 10 overalls in mx2 which ended during the season this year but that's that's nothing short of impressive and for any teams looking for a rider that fill out their roster you definitely should be a prime candidate mate yeah i feel like uh since actually 2021 like I was so inconsistent in the EMX period of my career. And then I went to MX2 with Marchetti for uh, that stint there. And also I was like up and down like crazy. And going into the 21 season, I went back to the EMX and something just changed. And I was getting much more, uh, much more uh, stable in the top and always consistent some crashes here and there but nothing like major and uh, i felt like that also carried through to mx2 in the beginning of the season last year i had a lot of crashes but still like the results was decent i was just building through the season and then uh, the last three four rounds i was protecting that fourth place a bit it got in my head uh, it was a new position for me to actually be that close to to a podium and like fourth was like a win for me that year so it was getting into my head and I got really exhausted from that in the end of the season and then yeah this year also I've been quite consistent but at the same time things have been yeah it's going so crazy so yeah it's just how it is sometimes and uh, I just need to regroup and get back that consistency to be in the top Hey, never apologize for being fourth in the world ever. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> like that's a big, big win. So our fourth was oh, that was so nice feeling. Uh, you know, there's a you know looking back at to the market. I know that you know as riders, you don't like to talk about the negative things in the sport because um, you know you know who knows you could be a Marquette four fifty in the future. You you never know, but. I know back back then the Marquette team wasn't the team of where 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 it was, and there were some uh, like mechanical issues and a few little things on there, which kind of sometimes you lose a little bit of confidence. Hey, and it, a rider has to have confidence in the machinery that are on. So we kind of seen you put that um, to the side, and when you joined F and H, it was like it was like you got too excited because you had all this power, you know, an amazing team around you. And uh, this is no slant on, on on the previous teams you've been on, but but really F and H is the ceiling of um of teams within MX two. I mean the, the the budgets, you know, having Mark is your trainer. That you know the 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 facilities you've got around you. It really is the team to be on in in MX two. Hey, yeah, I felt like yeah, in that period in twenty twenty there with Marchetti. It was my first year in MX2, first year living in a different country. I moved to Italy and yeah, things weren't really working out in the winter, but also how I handle it probably wasn't the best, how they handle it. And yeah, just things didn't work out really. And 
then I had to take it back to privateer style uh, with the corona happening like everybody was isolated at home so at that time I could ride by myself and I got in a better place and uh, then we were just traveling to the GPs like usual we did in I did the move to Italy again but this time I handled it uh, a lot better and uh, and yeah that prepared me for FNH like not staying at home and everything and uh, then with FNH everything is just solid you know everything is working smooth and that uh, helped me a lot also and uh, I think that uh, made me the next step, like working with Mark, uh, having the bikes always being good, uh, always having the good training, good facilities, nice place to live and everything, everything just fell in place and then the results also come by. Nah, that's cool. I mean, talk, talking about that sort of being away from home and, and you have to remember that most, most people that are probably listening to this podcast at the age of, say, 21 and 22 – they're probably at home with their mum and dad. There's, they can't afford to be, um, you know, living in their own place. They're, they're probably still at home. And, you know, as I think for riders, we kind of, it gets kind of swept under the carpet because as a young kid, you're just literally right off you go. <laughs> you know, new country, new home, uh, different languages. And you guys just have to get on with it. Where, um, you know, where most of us, at the age of 21 we're like holy shit I, I i'm not ready to leave my my mum and dad yet i'm quite happy with paying 10 pound a month um for my rent and uh having my my meals on the table when i get in from work so it is a massive upheaval and it is a massive change for for any athlete and then adding the pressure of having to perform having to train yourself having to make sure you're eating the right things and i mean how how discipline wise kevin how how disciplined are you are you good at kind of uh right it's it's eight o'clock in the morning i need to be at the gym or are you a, are you a bit like me where it's just like 10 more minutes in this bed because it's really comfy no you know yeah when i first moved from home uh it's not easy to be disciplined but i think yeah i've grown into it and i'm getting better and better every year like I really start to enjoy training and taking care of my training and uh, and doing that things. But food wise, something is, sometimes is difficult. Like uh, I like to go off track, that's for sure. And uh, and also <laughs> with age, I'm getting better there as well. And uh, yeah, with sleep, always my mom and dad put me to sleep at ten, and I wake up when I wake up, like just get enough hours, and that's still what i'm doing like i don't have to be anywhere at eight o'clock in the morning usually if i have to then i make sure to have enough sleep but uh, i also can sleep in if i want like my day is so different from a normal work day that going to bed at uh, 10 11 and just sleeping till i wake up is is quite normal for me and i just make sure to get enough hours and quality sleep and uh, yeah, with the, all the rest, like the training, I think everything is fine. And also, also you have to think about like after the GPs, you need to wash everything. And that sort of things is, is even more taxing, I feel like, because you always have that stuff on your mind. Like, oh, I need to get the gear ready for the next race. And I think that's every rider's nightmare, like showing up to the race and and not having stuff ready or standing at the start gate and something is wrong, you know. So that is almost like the worst part about about being alone. Like you have to take care of all that things. It's not that heavy, but mentally it can drain you if you haven't done it yet. If you yeah. if you are not able to do it or or you're yeah, traveling or whatever. Yeah. And don't have enough time. Yeah, it certainly makes no. you grow up quick, doesn't it, mate? Obviously, you left home so young to pursue your dream and chase the, the dream, what you wanted to achieve. Do you sort of feel extra motivation from leaving home and, you know, wanting to make it work as, you know, maybe not to the same extent as a South African or Australian traveling such a long distance, but there is that little bit of extra push for someone like you, isn't there? Yeah, you know, you see often like uh, when horse riders or something like that come over like they really go for it because they move from home and 
they put everything into motocross and coming from Norway, even though it's Europe, it's not that far, but it's still like a step you need to make that maybe a guy in Holland or Italy or something like that don't have to make. So that sacrifice that you have to do, I wouldn't actually call it sacrifice. It's a choice we make. Yeah, it's what we want to do. I don't like to call it a sacrifice, but yeah, that choice is is it's a bigger step for a Norwegian guy to do than a Dutch guy riding for a Dutch team. Uh, it's you can compare it more to a horse rider coming over, except I can travel home on the weekend. That's that's the only good thing. Yeah, or is many good things, but a little bit easier. Absolutely, and just with Norway, are you looking forward to the motocross nations at ERNA? And how have you enjoyed past nations? Obviously, Red Bud was pretty awesome, but there's some pretty nice talent coming through. Obviously, a few injuries going on has affected you and some of your other, you know, Norway riders. You've got Turndell, who's had a bit of an up and down year. Fredriksen's been injured. Osterhagen, Bolvikan, Agard Mikkelsen. Are you there? Are you friends with all these guys? And are you sort of keeping track of the younger kids coming through in, in Norway just to see how they're going? And for the future, they probably get inspired by guys like you. Yeah, like uh, I'm really good friends with Osterhagen uh, and I get a lot, uh, along good with the other riders as well. And uh, yeah, previous year in uh, Redbud, we had a really good team and we massively underperformed. Like on Saturday, everything was fine. But in the mother, I don't know what happened, but the whole group just fell apart and we didn't ride to our capabilities, any of us. And then, yeah, this year, unfortunately, it's been a lot of injuries and stuff. But uh, I've seen the other guys getting back on the bikes and hopefully we all be ready by by nations. and. Yeah, I'm really proud to represent Norway every time I've been at the Nations. I think this will be my fourth one, maybe, hopefully, in uh, Arne. And uh, yeah, it's always a, a pleasure to be there. It's been a lot of mud races, but uh, yeah, I just enjoy having the Nations shirt on. Yeah, mate, before I get you over for some questions, James, just you're looking forward to racing guys like the Lawrence brothers, you know, RJ Hampshire or, or Deegan and VR if he goes, Shimoda if Japan sends a team. Cool to race some different guys and obviously the MX2 guys you race against every week, you'll be featuring against a lot of them. But does that give you a little bit of extra boost, you know, to flex your muscles and obviously put yourself even further in the shop window if you haven't already got something sorted by then? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I remember Red Bull last year looking at the free practice at the times so was some uh, strange names there on the on the monitor. But uh, yeah, it's just normal guys out there. It's just another rider and you're just not used to seeing that number, but you don't really mind either when you're in it. Like, it's cool to see from the outside, but within, you just want to do the best for yourself and your nation. You don't really mind what the other guys are doing. And uh, yeah, it's for sure it's nice to to look to the other classes. I remember in Redbird, like uh, looking to Tomac and, and also Lawrence on the 450 uh, was really nice for sure. Uh, have it, hearing that Tomac revving that Yamaha is something you never forget. So obviously that's really nice. And uh, I think in Arne uh, it will, will be nice for sure. What is it about Redbud with rain? I mean, <laughs> it's a fantastic track. Looks like a golf course and twice we've been there and it's pissed down. And uh, it's just unreal. It's like, it, did you get, did, was you there on both, uh, I think it was the Friday. Uh, I think we were walking around Friday in 18 and it just looked phenomenal. And then Saturday just rained. And then Saturday wasn't too bad. And then Sunday it rained. Um this time, what were your thoughts when uh, you're you're at Redbud? Did you did you ride both Redbuds, uh, Kevin? No, I only rode the last one. Like in uh, in eighteen, we didn't have such a good team, so the federation didn't send anyone over. And uh, yeah, then we had a really good team last year, so we scraped together every every kind of money we could get and got over there. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the experience for sure. But uh, yeah, it didn't really go as we hoped. So so that's an in, in, interesting question. Scraped every bit of money. So d did the Federation, do you kind of work with the Federation to raise funds? Or or um, does the how good are the Federation, Norwegian Federation, in supporting um, the riders? Because like with Denmark, um, 
I'm pretty sure is it with them Den- with Denmark. I think they've got a trainer every um every GP this year. So what do, what do Norwegians do? Yeah, we also have a trainer going to quite some races. Uh, we have like the national team coach uh, Espen Blixta. He's uh, from Sweden actually, so we stole him from there, I guess. Uh, but uh, very yeah, good, the, very good. Yeah, the federation is is uh, is really good to us riders, and they support quite a lot. And uh, yeah, I just meant like they scraped every from every account they had in the federation i think to send us <laughs> over there. raise any money or things like that but uh but i think yeah everybody just really wanted to go there you know nah it's uh, it's, it's cool because you know you talk to a lot of riders and some some nations are you know have a very good um infrastructure and then other nations um not so much so i, I always find it very interesting about kind of um, you know what countries do because obviously being from the UK and uh, it's quite questionable at times with with what's going on here. I find it quite interesting, especially when you when how organised the French Federation are and how much money they put in in you know in the support that they give the French riders. And then you kind of hear other nations where it's like, yeah, the Federation told us to auction a couple of shirts to try and raise some money for uh, flights. <laughs> So yeah, you know, it's like good that the Norwegian guys are good. Yeah, for sure. Like from federation to federation, I think it's a little bit unfair to compare like French to Norway. I don't know how many <laughs> more uh, riders they have. Then we probably have like 5,000 licensed riders or something. I don't know. I have no clue about the numbers, but what they do yeah. is, is pretty good and they have a good setup. Like they work little bit with the olympic uh olympic uh sports sense center also to get the infrastructure better and and for the top athletes to have it as good as possible and i think also like in norway athletic wise it's quite a lot of uh, good people around in norway to to listen to uh, with the science and things like that. You see with other sports, Norway is doing quite well with the population we have. So, uh, so yeah, it's not not too bad. It's good. With well, One more question on, on that. With um, sort of Norwegian riders coming up, is obviously you guys, it's a small, small, you know, it's not as big as the UK in, um, you know, France and other countries and stuff like that. And, and obviously you're quite, you know, the country's quite far from, from Central Europe where a lot of races go on. So so with the upcoming sort of riders who are coming through um, the ranks in, in Norway, is it kind of known that if you want to succeed, you, you need to start competing in the European programs like the EMX 65, the 85 and, and so on? Or, or is there enough racing talent in Norway to stay there as long as possible? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we have like a rule in Norway that you aren't allowed to race outside uh, Norway before you are 13, actually. It's like in the children's sports program, it's like in the law. So okay. before 13, you are not il- even allowed to race outside. Maybe it's Scandinavia, I'm not sure now. But yeah, that made me at least go a lot to Sweden when I was a kid to race there and then... Uh, the first year I was allowed to do the EMX, yeah, I just had to make that step and go to the 85s. And since then, I've been racing EMX and like growing with the up the ranks. And yeah, you have to commit a little bit. Like, it's not good enough races just to stay at home or race in Sweden. You really need to get out in Europe. And uh, yeah, you don't see that with uh, a French kid that can race a French championship till he's uh, 18 and still break through. But yeah, that's not possible for a Norwegian. You, you have to get out as soon as possible and gain experience. Also, the tracks are so different. Like we have decent tracks, but for sure compared to the GPs, you find nothing alike. So yeah, the racing and everything, you have to gain experience from a young age. So were you racing against people like Anton Gold then in uh, Sweden coming up for the youth ranks? Or was Anton a few years older? 
Uh, I think not uh, with Anton because he was always like uh, in a class higher than me. But uh, okay. I remember uh, the first, no, the second year on the 125, I won the Swedish championship. And then for the year after, to do better in the EMX races, I was doing the Swedish championship, but in the MX2 class, like to gain even uh, extra bit of... Uh, of experience and racing faster dudes so then i think i was racing him if i'm not uh, if i'm not wrong but yeah i don't really know the riders now but uh, i raced a lot yeah. with the ice trained a lot with him when i was a kid uh, so i always had like matching on training with gifting when we were training on the weekends and stuff like that ah that's cool because uh i spent a little bit of time in sweden when uh uh mx vice got bought by pierce which was 24 mx and uh i got to know like the championship the riders a little bit and stuff like that but this it's a decent championship in uh those riders are not a slouch on their home tracks hey yeah it's it's strange because none of them go out like sometimes you see in the spring they are training in belgium but you don't see them anymore they just race the swedish championship so they're training for a Swedish championship. And yeah, it's not a bad championship. It's quite high level. And uh, it's just a, it's a shame that, yeah, they don't want to do like more of the EMAX. But I guess they are satisfied with that. And I understand it also. It's good tracks. It's a nice championship. And maybe you're working on the side so you don't have that possibilities as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I take my hat off to any any of you guys from Scandinavia because, um, you know, everybody moans about crossing the English Channel from the UK to go and ride, and so expensive to go and ride in, um, to go and ride in in Holland, and it's just like, what about the guys in Scandinavia then? That's that's like, because you're literally in a camper and going through Estonia, aren't you, to get into get to anywhere? Yeah, it's not that bad. Come on, you need to look at. <laughs> <laughs> uh fair play um but no it's uh it's, it's 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 been really really good to chat and hopefully um a lot of people who listen to the podcast you know if you want to know a little bit more about kevin then honestly check out his vlogs on youtube you're going to get to know him literally over the last six years and it's uh you know i've seen him just come not up through it makes... what's that sorry yeah, just not the first ones from when I began because that <laughs> ones are holy. I keep them up there because it's like a memory. I just need them up there, yeah. but it's it's really horrible. <laughs> it's fine. They're out there now, so they're staying out there. It's absolutely fine. And what you can see as well is is all of Kevin's haircuts through the um through the years, which are even better. So you're not judging. <laughs> oh, but um. Yeah, check out check out the vlogs. They're really good. Gives you a little bit of inside uh, information. I can remember Sean Ogden at MX Vice. He he really liked what you were doing on the um on the video front. So do you filmed it all yourself. You edited all yourself, didn't you? Yeah, I have uh, my own special camera woman, my mom. I just <laughs> hand her the on the automatic settings, and then I tried to save the footage as best as I can in the editing process, yeah. But at times that was not so easy to correct some of that like shakiness, but she's gotten better over the years. And actually, I think the last two, three years, I didn't have to do much with the footage. So so that's great. Like, wow, she's a all... pro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. And, and, and the thing was, is like, you know, we've seen the last couple of years that riders have adopted vlogs and stuff like that, but... I think what's you know what's good is you you kind of recognised that you needed to market yourself at an early age, which not many riders seem to get. And what you're 22 at the moment, Kevin? Yes, I'm 22. And the funny thing is, actually, now I remember the thought process by starting like the vlog because I remember I was doing the emails. It was my last year and. And the first round, I don't even remember what I finished. But then the second round, I I won. I won or no, I got on the podium in Latvia. And Lisa Leyland, she handed me the microphone 
and I just stuttered like I couldn't even talk and normally I could talk pretty good English and all of a sudden I turned into yeah some guy that couldn't <laughs> even speak English and I didn't know what I was going to say and just stuttered and so nervous in front of the camera and then I picked up I was in uh, Hellesine in Belgium for training before uh, the French GP in Arne and uh, I picked up the camera like I need to get some confidence with this. Like I need to speak to the camera in English and and start to get better with it. And I just posted the vlogs. Like the three, four first ones was so horrible. And I went to that Arne and I won the GP. So I even had to sit in the press conference. And yeah, it got better. But I was also stuttering so much there, so nervous. But uh, that's like the reason why I started with the vlog was just to be more confident in front of the camera and talking English like with you guys and stuff like that, actually. Yeah, yeah. And that, do you know what? That's really good advice for any young, you know, any young riders coming through who who is struggling a little bit with what to do with media and, you know, is my English good? Blogging is a brilliant way of, um, I mean, you've kind of, you've set the path for other riders. And if it's, it's a shame, you know, but there's a few riders which, which are consistent with their vlogging. But there's a lot of young riders which could take a leap out of your book and in, in look at what you've done because I I think you're one of the best people at marketing yourself over those over those sort of four or five, the last four or five years with the vlogs because um you know they got really good views um you know everybody was talking about them and um yeah bring back the vlogs maybe next year who knows yeah you you get me back to wanting to start it up again so <laughs> maybe you light a fire you <laughs> hey well look at it this way um you know you're thinking about next year uh i you know sometimes um you know brands look at uh you know what people what riders are doing in media and i just think that you got something to offer which a lot of riders um are not doing and if it helps you know seal that contract for next year then let's get these vlogs burning yeah look at sure. him see kevin's sure. thinking he's like oh Let's yeah see. this vlog game's coming back there we go <laughs> well, well i've got my camera in lommel so we're starting lommel this week okay okay then we try to get <laughs> that will be a big task <laughs> yeah um so kevin lommel you've obviously raced it many many times over the years you've you obviously practiced there um mark's obviously um you know a great person to have in your in your corner when it comes to sand you're a very good sand rider yourself um are you looking forward to this weekend yeah i have a lot of good memories also a lot of uh yeah let's say uh, head in the sand memories <laughs> so yeah, i'm looking forward to the weekend it's uh, a nice place and i really enjoy the gps there because on training it's horrible so the gps is nice with some jumps you can get so some air under your wheels and uh, and it's just a fun track so for the gp i'm really looking forward to it when we go training there not so much but uh, <laughs> yeah the gps is always special and are you excited about the new layout they're gonna have there as well mate yeah, I've seen that and uh, it looks so nice and will be a big change for sure. So let's see how it turns out. And uh, i got to ask, what's it like having Mark in your corner? Because um, I can imagine the first time you probably met him, you're like, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> like, he's, he, he's a fun guy, but like he sends me pictures of him staring at me with his eyes. So I'll open my WhatsApp and there's a picture of Mark DeRuver just staring at me with those crazy eyes. And I'm just like, I can't, I'm not going to sleep well tonight. So what's, so what's he yeah. like as, as the trainer? Yeah. The reaction you had at the beginning there, I maybe didn't have that in like last year, but this year is more like, uh, more like that. No, it's, it's good. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of work for sure. And yeah, and uh, <laughs> crazy, but he's really kind and a good heart, and yeah. he's uh, just a good guy. When you have him on the right side, I wouldn't have him on the bad side. That's for sure. But no. uh, I 
tested him that far yet, so let's keep it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, keep on the good side. Keep on the good side. Make yeah. like a happy mark. All in all, it's uh, it's good working with him for sure. And what's it like under the FNH on him? Because obviously Nat Natalie is, a, is is super awesome. The team seems, you know, they're super professional, but it does seem a very friendly, uh, happy team. Yeah, it's a good group of people working together. And I think we all want the same goals. Like we are all working so hard for it. And yeah, it's been unfortunate how our luck has been this, this year. But uh, yeah, you make your own luck, they say. So uh, let's turn that around. And uh, we just continue to work. And I also see like the guys, they... They never give up, and that also fuels me and gives me motivation to not do as well. And uh, yeah, even though after a bad weekend, you walk into the workshop and try to make some jokes, and uh, and the morale is is there. So uh, every training is like a new start, and uh, we work towards the next race, even though the last one was bad, you know. Yeah, it seems like a great team, mate. I just wanted to ask you, how was it obviously being an Aussie? How was it having Jed Beaton as your teammate last year? Obviously, he was on the 450 and started off so well, and then the injury sort of ruined his campaign. Obviously, it would be pretty cool if they ran a 450 for you next year, mate. Have you tried to float that idea? Yeah, I think it was quite hard on them to ride the 450 last year. So, yeah, you never know, but we haven't talked too much about that. And But having Jed as a teammate was awesome. He was like uh, a big brother to me last year, taking care of me, taking me on bike rides, uh, keeping the wind out of my face. So, no, he was a good guy. <laughs> I, I miss him as a teammate, that's for sure. He always uh, fun around him. So, yeah, we miss him over in Europe, that's for sure. Yeah, hopefully he so comes back. He that... wants to come back, doesn't he? So, yeah, hopefully he's doing well in Australia, doing his thing. And, yeah, he's definitely keen to get back to MXGP. And, yeah, you go, James. I was going to say, so basically you're saying keeping the wind out of your face, are you trying to say that Jed Beaton is big built? <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> or he just stayed in front of my wheel and I had a little bit of lighter workout because around here <laughs> it's pretty bad and pretty windy. You, I don't think I found one day without wind. So it's nice to have a guy in front, let's say. <laughs> that was very politely put. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kevin, it's been awesome having you on. Really appreciate uh, you coming on and finding the time. And uh, I, know it's, I know it's been uh, a hard and frustrating year for you with little knocks and, and, and little niggles in you know, I think a lot of people who probably would just look at the results, they don't understand what is behind the results. So I think it's great that you've come onto the show. You've talked a little bit about it. You know, we've, uh, you know, sometimes with riders, you know, um, you guys, which I, I, I get, you're kind of like just focus, focus, focus. But sometimes like when you're coming on, people can listen to this podcast and go, oh, he was injured. Oh, he dislocated his shoulder. Oh, I, I had no idea. It gives people some context. And I think it's really important to understand that last year you were fourth in the world. You had some absolutely fantastic results and you've had some really good results this year with two seconds. So it's like, you know, we, there's still, you know, plenty to play for. And um, and it's great to see you have a smile on your face, by the way. And um, it's good to hear that um, just those small sentences, the guys at Technical Touch are so, so good with the suspension. So um it's great to hear that you've got uh, a setting that you really like, especially on such a tricky surface, what Lockett was or Lockett is. So um, hopefully that pays dividends for this week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's good to come on here and talk some uh, some crap. And, uh, Shit. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably write a book about all the things happening this year and all, uh, all of my small problems, but... Yeah, it's all in the past. It's better to just uh, look forward and yeah, all the results we put on the trash and we start to new from here is better. I like that more. So yeah. thanks for I like that. So round one was lock it. Uh, <laughs> you're nearly leading the championship. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so uh, let's go to Lomo. I like this. I like this. This is a, this is a good outlook. Um, appreciate the time, buddy. Uh, fantastic having you on uh, MX Vice. You're always welcome on the podcast. And uh, let's start vlogging the weekend. 
okay then uh, then you get mark on the good side and uh, then we can see what we can do <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> we'll get mark on the vlog because I'm sure he have a word on about that if I should go back to vlogging. Because <laughs> vlogging, yeah, uh, I bet he will. <laughs> if if he like it or not last year, so yeah. You, what we'll have is I'll be stood there with the camera. You'll be just you'll be literally about to talk, and then we'll just see the eyes go past in the background, <laughs> just like like that, just like pointing at me. I'm gonna end you, and I'll just be like, oh, "Fuck it, Kevin, I'm not doing this anymore." Yeah, that's probably what is going to <laughs> I think his death stare is out there. His staring is scary as fuck. That's basically yes. how to describe it. Yeah, the silent mark is the worst mark you can meet. <laughs> when he barks, he's yeah. not too... But when he's silent, you never know what is going to happen. So that's my word of advice. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So if anybody is approaching Mark uh, DeRuva in the pits and he's silent, probably just go around him, step away, and just wait for a, for a brighter, better day. Um, that's Kevin's advice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, buddy, it's great to have you on the show, and uh, let's get you back for for one soon, especially before the end of the year. Okay, we'll try to do that. If you can catch me. Nice one. <laughs> Thanks for yeah, taking um, part, Yeah, man. if we can catch you. Yeah, damn. <laughs> um, yeah, you've never seen the Hide and Seek World Champion in full uh, full motion, Ed. It's a, it's a sight to behold. Um, part two was brought to you by Parts Europe. Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories, and rider equipment for all your motorbike segments in Europe. What you need to know is the new four range will be out soon yes the 424 kit will be uh debuted pretty soon we'll have some more information coming up from the guys from parts europe uh thor mx uh, fantastic kit um and some amazing ambassadors with vlanderen prado lagenfelder guadagini jonas bogus and nine times world champ and four ambassador tony caroli they're all part of parts europe and uh caroli you know, for ambassador for a long, long time now. Um, get to your local dealer. Um, if they're good, they've got four kit in stock. Uh, a dealer network of over 10,000 shops. So um, you're going to find it somewhere. Big thank you to Kevin Horgmo. Um, Good luck for Lommel. We will see you there. And that's it on the show.